Let's go. New series kicking off. Very excited. Yes, we are kicking off a new series tonight, Asking for a Friend. Welcome friends in the room, friends in Fort Worth, Houston, El Paso, Tulsa, Spring, Cedar Rapids, wherever you are joining us from tonight. I'm going to start with a little bit of a, a story. I, um, I, six years ago this past weekend, got engaged on 7-7-12. Me, <laughs> Justin Bieber have that in common now. And um, I know, I was like, dude, come on, man, get your own day. And uh, anyway, so, hey, uh, I'm going to tell a little bit of that, the day and how that came. So my wife's birthday was on 7-7-12. It's every year on 7-7. And, uh, and I decided, I came with this plot. I thought that she would assume there's no way I'm going to get engaged on her birthday because she'd be like, oh, that's so like plain. Of course he's not. So I was one step ahead of her. And of course I'm going to get engaged on her birthday because that's when she would least expect it because of reverse psychology of her reverse psychology. Anyway, so I put together this whole plan, this elaborate scheme, and uh, began to plan out what we would do. And uh, towards the evening uh, part of kind of that birthday day celebration, I told her, hey, I'm gonna pick you about five o'clock. We're gonna go to the Arboretum. Then we're gonna go to uh, have dinner at this place after that for your birthday and celebrate it. I intentionally wove in a little misstep to throw her off the scent in case she was thinking we are going to get engaged at this time. So here's what I did. I uh, told her we're gonna go to the Arboretum, but I knew it was Saturday night and the Arboretum is closed on Saturday night. So I'm like literally during the day calling to confirm, hey, I need you guys to for sure be not open tonight because (laughs) we are gonna deviate and go to another location where people were going to meet us. And if we end up being able to get in the Arboretum, it's gonna create some problems. So confirm for sure you're closed. And so of course they were like, yeah, of course we're closed tonight. So we show up at the Arboretum, we go into there and, uh, and it's like, oh no, it's closed. Guess we'll have to go somewhere else. I guess we'll, you know, kill some time in a park before our dinner reservations where I had it all planned out. Come to find out weeks later, she was already anticipating going, we're for sure getting engaged. Oh my gosh, he didn't even check that the Arboretum was gonna be closed. <laughs> my boyfriend has no sense of details. And but in the moment, I'm like, oh, bummer. Okay, let's go over here. And we go to this park and, um, where I had friends that were you know, supposed to meet and like, they were hiding in someone's yard's bushes to take pictures. And it starts pouring. And I'm like, oh no, um, we need to get over to this one area. And she's like, why don't we just you know, do it another day? No, I really think we should try. And it's like soaking wet. The grass is like literally soaking mud. And to a point where I have to like piggyback ride her over to this place. Cause I'm like, it's really, look at the ducks, they're beautiful. And, uh, and she's going, what is wrong with him? What is wrong with me for dating him? And, uh, and the moment came and, uh, and I dropped down to a knee and shared some nice things. And, and I asked her, Callie, will you marry me and spend the rest of your life with me? And she said, yes. Yeah, get excited. And from there, (laughs) yeah, thank you. And uh, from there, something very interesting happened over the next kind of few days. So now we're engaged, all this anticipation. If you're dating in the room, maybe you're in like or in love, wherever you are, and you're in that moment where, man, you got engaged, and I don't know what you anticipate happening. What, What happened to me was not what I anticipated. Over the next few days, I began to get filled with such doubt over, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Have I made the biggest mistake of my entire life? Is this, is, this, is this the woman I'm supposed to marry? And all these different questions begin to flood through my hand. I know, really romantic, ladies, for those of you in the room. And I'm like, is this, is this, is this even right? Maybe this wasn't the right relationship for me. And, and it wasn't because of anything really clear. It just kind of was like these lingering questions. Maybe, maybe this relationship is not right. Maybe it's wrong. And people say things like, you know, when you know, you know. And I'm like, and, and I don't know. So does that mean that I, I know that I don't know that I'll ever know? And what does that mean? And, and I just began to like freak out and have all kinds of doubts. I went to this uh, on a trip that Watermark had taken to Haiti and had to lead this trip to Haiti. And the whole time, like I don't sleep at all while we're over there because I'm just thinking, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? As I'm sitting in this international uh, you know, environment for that week, and, uh, and I remember I processed with community and eventually came to a place where, uh, thankfully, I didn't allow that to hold me back. I'm going to come back to that story and kind of why I start there uh, here in a second. But the main reason I start there is because of this. And the same reason that, uh, in the same way, that in a dating relationship, or for me in that moment, I was experiencing some level of doubt over, man, is this, is this right? Is this the right girl for me? Is this the right relationship? Is the fact that I'm having doubts, does that mean that it's wrong? 
In the same way as often the experience that many people have as it relates to their Christian faith. That they experience some level of doubt and they begin to wonder like, man, the fact that I'm not really sure uh, about, I've just got some questions as it relates to what the Bible teaches. I still have some places where I I just have doubt in my mind over some of the things the Bible says. Does that mean that my faith is wrong? That my faith is not real? That uh, maybe I'm not a true believer or maybe this thing is just made up. Are these doubts creeping in? What do I do with them? I don't know if you've experienced doubt in your journey of faith, but if you haven't, it is coming for you. Because it is really a common universal experience for anyone who wants to follow Jesus with your life. Maybe doubts for you look like, man, can we really trust the Bible? Maybe you've had doubts about like, is Christianity really the only way? Like, you know, is it just because I was born in America? If I was born in India, wouldn't I be a Hindu? Maybe this is just kind of our expression in in the West of what faith in God looks like. How can I really know? Maybe that's the doubt that you've experienced. What about heaven and hell? Maybe you had lingering doubts over, man, I'm just trying to believe in God. I just, I really struggle with the idea of hell or Jesus being the only way to heaven. Maybe you've had doubts about just other religions and other belief systems. And maybe you've wondered if God can truly love you the way that the Bible says, the way that preachers stand up and say he loves you despite all the things that you know in your own life are jacked up that are messed up. And you doubt, despite hearing it week after week, does God really love me in spite of me? In spite of me. And what do I do with those doubts? Because doubt is a little bit like fear or anxiety, if you think about it. It's not something that anyone like plans or wants more of in their life. In other words, no one plans, today I'm gonna, I'm gonna think I'm gonna be anxious between three and four o'clock. It just kinda like shows up and grabs you in the same way doubt is one of those things that, that we don't even have to attempt to do it. It can just grab us in a moment. Just like a relationship, I can doubt Maybe this isn't the right person. And then the same thing can happen with our faith. Man, maybe Jesus isn't the right savior. So tonight, we are gonna cover the subject of doubt, of asking for a friend, of what do my doubts tell me about my faith? Does it tell me that my faith is not real? What do I do about my doubts? And we are gonna cover from three episodes in the life of Jesus, the so three interactions that Jesus has as it relates to the subject of doubt and explore how you and I can experience further and further freedom from doubt and experience what really uh, doubts tell us or what God intends us to do with those doubts. So the first episode, if you watch Netflix, we're gonna flip through one episode after the next, after the next, just kind of jumping all throughout the scripture just like you would flip through a uh, binge on a, a Netflix, Netflix, ugh. Netflix episode and uh, we'll jump from one to the next. The first episode we're gonna look at where Jesus interacts with a man who had experienced doubt or was experiencing doubt happens in Matthew chapter 11. And it involves John the Baptist. These verses will be up on the screen. You can flip there if you want to. But let me set up a little bit of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, there's a couple Johns inside of the New Testament. There's one who wrote the book of John. Then there's this other dude who was not one of the disciples. His name was John the Baptist. He had the nickname the Baptist because he was really the first guy we know of that was baptizing people. He showed up before Jesus. He was actually Jesus's cousin, interesting enough. And John the Baptist had this huge ministry where uh, before Jesus really showed up on the scene and became the figure that he was, John was out in the countryside. This dude lived in the woods. He was known as kind of a man's man or wild man. Think Duck Dynasty. He's out in the woods by the river just baptizing dudes all the time. He has one message really. Repent because the Messiah is coming. Repent because my cousin is the Messiah and he's coming. Repent because you don't want to miss the Messiah once he's here. So this is what he would say. And we're told that thousands of people would go out and see him. He's actually included in other historical pieces of literature outside of the Bible from that day. I mean, this dude was known. He was, he was a rock star, if you will. A little, a little bizarre because he was, you know, Harry and Duck Dynasty out there eating locusts, we're told. But he was a rock star. Even the king of that area would go out because they just wanted to hear him teach. And one day he's out baptizing people and he's saying, repent, the Messiah's coming. All of a sudden his cousin, Jesus, his younger cousin, Jesus shows up to the whole crowd. He says, look, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, the lamb who takes away every person's sin, if they'll trust in him. He says in front of this whole crowd, this is the one we've been waiting for. I must decrease, he must increase. He says, this is God's chosen one. You can read it in John chapter one. And John was just a bold dude. He he didn't play around. He just drove right to the point. And that bold type of teaching that he exhibited or showed that day would end up being something that ultimately led to him being arrested and thrown in prison for his ministry. 
And John, sitting in a prison cell, begins to move from that bold declaration of who Jesus was to begin to question things because he found himself in a circumstance where things weren't going like he thought they would. Here's what happens in Matthew chapter 11, verse two. Now, when John was in prison and he heard about the deeds of the Messiah, that people were telling him, hey, your cousin Jesus, he's healing the lame, he's raising people from the dead, like blind people couldn't see, all of a sudden they can see Jesus is doing all these amazing things. He sent his disciples to ask him, that's Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What just happened there? Well, I'll tell you what just happened. I mean, John is sitting in between, you know, maybe a couple other prisoners inside of a jail. So he's looking through bars and he begins to question after a few days go by, maybe a few weeks go by, a few months go by, where is my cousin? I mean, I'm the guy who like made him what he is. I'm the guy who said, hey, he's the one, he's the Messiah, he's the savior of the earth and he's out there caring for everybody else. Is he really the savior? Why am I sitting in prison right now? Maybe he's not, maybe I had it all wrong and John begins to question this man who just earlier in the story had said, this is the lamb of God. The man who told everybody else, he's the one who is to come. Now gets his disciples and he's sitting in a prison. He says, you gotta go ask Jesus a question for me. I need you to go ask him that, like, is he the one that we thought he was or is he not? Because John found himself in a place that he never thought he would be, found himself in circumstances that he was like, surely God would intervene here. And he began to doubt. So the disciples must be thinking, John, how can we go ask that question to Jesus? You're the one who told everybody he is the one. But I guess we'll go ask him. So they go to Jesus and they ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I love Jesus, because the two disciples who came to visit him have gotta be thinking, are you the one who is to come and rather? Go back and tell them the blind see, the lame hear, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and they're going, great, check, check. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? He's like, right, go tell them, the blind see, that he just says, man, you can see for yourself. The acts of the Messiah are clearly, or the acts of the Christ, which is what the word Messiah means, are clearly being shown by Jesus. And go back and tell him these works. And then he says that line of blessed is anyone who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, Jesus says blessed is anyone who does not fall away because I'm not acting how they think that I should act, how they think I should be acting. Because I'm not doing the things that, that uh, they assume that, hey, if there was a God, he would for sure act in this way. Blessed is anyone. And then Jesus says something that's remarkable. In a few verses, he says this about John. Truly, I tell you, among those who are born of woman, that's everybody, so everyone in this room is born of a woman. Among those who are born of woman, there's never risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That Jesus responds to his cousin who sits there and who had this overwhelming boldness. He's the one who's now finding himself in incredible doubt of, man, maybe he's not, I don't know. And he responds and he says, John the Baptist is the greatest person who's ever lived that even John, the greatest person in Jesus, I mean, Jesus just said, hey, this dude's the goat, and even the goat, greatest of all time, not Tom Brady, not Jordan, not David in the Old Testament, not the Old Prophets, he says, there's never been anyone greater than my cousin John. Think about that. There's never been anybody greater, and even the greatest of all time struggled with doubt in his moment of need. Doubt does not disqualify a person's faith. Doubt is a part of any true faith that you're gonna experience. Doubt is normal, our first point, for even the greatest people of faith. And John the Baptist, who Jesus says, there's never been anyone greater when he found himself in a place where he didn't like how God was not intervening, where he didn't like the story that was being written in his life, he begins to doubt, and, and Jesus says, man, even the greatest experienced doubt in your life. If you struggle with doubt or if you've ever struggled with doubt, you, 
man, if you read the Bible, you will find good and great comfort and encouragement because all throughout it, there's people who struggle with doubt. Every single one of Jesus' followers struggle with doubt. Every single one of his, his, his 12 disciples struggle with doubt, from Peter to John to Andrew. All of them struggled to believe that, man, is this really true? Is Jesus really who he says it was? And they struggled after they saw him walk on water, after they saw him feed 5,000, after they saw him do all these miraculous things. In fact, dude, it's so comical. You read Matthew chapter 28, and, uh, and we're even told that uh, the disciples go to meet Jesus after he's risen from the dead and he's ascending into heaven. He's floating up in the sky and he says, go into all the earth and proclaim. And he says the good commission. And the Bible says, Matthew 28, that when they saw him do this, out of the 11, some worshiped him and some doubted. Think about that. They're sitting there and they're like, dude just came back from life. He's literally floating up into the sky. And they're like, ah, I don't know. I've got an uncle who does very similar stuff than this. I, I'm, not, I'm not totally convinced here. I mean, that, that's who the disciples, the 11 were. And if you've ever struggled with doubt, you find great comfort and encouragement because the scriptures are full of people who didn't have it perfectly. But on the journey, as their faith continued to grow, they wrestled with doubt. Really, the Christian life, I mean, for anybody, if you've met people who are like, no, I've never struggled with doubt, uh, I mean, you're just not telling the truth. I can tell you, working on a church staff, you experience still levels of doubt. The Christian life is like a roller coaster. There's moments where you're like, click, 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 click. We're just going up. God's taking over the world. He's on the king. He's the throne. He's coming back. Nothing can stop us. Though none go with me, I will follow. Click, click, click. Ah, where are you, God? And you just find yourself on these ups and downs. I mean, and the truth is, the more your faith grows, the less, hopefully, of those roller coaster rides you find, but it's never this straight journey. And even the greatest of all time, Jesus said, struggled with doubt. I, I know in my own life. Dude, I, I read the same Bible you do. And there's things in there that I'm like, huh, interesting. Wow. From Adam and Eve running around the garden naked talking to snakes to um, Jonah in the belly of a whale for three days to you know, um, the sun standing still in one moment to, uh, you know, people living to be like 800 and 900 years old. I'm like, what is that? What do you even look like past age 100? Like, you just turn into Yoda? Is that something or what happens? And I remember, especially when I first kind of got into ministry and I remember being in seminary and I remember like feeling these kind of waves of doubt because I was going all in on this Jesus thing. I was like, hey, I'm really, I'm hedging myself here. I'm pot committed at this point. I, I've got a Bible degree and I'm all in and ha have I been misled here? I'm about to turn pro in Christianity and I don't know <laughs> if maybe these doubts are something I should listen to. And so in the next episode I want to look at, we're going to see, I think, a key to diffusing the doubt in your life or what to do whenever you experience doubt, what to do when those doubts come in because it's not just blind, turn off your mind, don't think about that stuff, it's the opposite. And we're going to see it in the second episode we're going to look at tonight. And this episode takes place in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now let me set the scene. In John chapter 6, Jesus does one of his greatest miracles. It's included in all four Gospels. There's four different accounts of the life of Jesus. They include a lot of the same stuff. Very few uh, incidences are in all four of them. This one is. It's the feeding of the 5,000 people. That they all were like, dude, that was amazing. Jesus was out. He was teaching thousands of people one day. He's teaching them. And it gets late in the day, we're told. And Jesus looks out and he says, hey, we got to feed these people. They've been here a long time. And we don't have food trucks or food camels or anything, so we need to figure out what to do. And he, uh, he looks at his disciples and says, that's just unnecessary. I don't know what I'm doing with that. Um, <laughs> and he looks at his disciples and says, hey, give them something to eat. And they said, give them something to eat. We can feed 5,000. I mean, estimates say 5,000 men, so that's probably around 15,000 women and children, up to 20. And they're going, what are we supposed to do? And, and so Andrew sees this kid with a lunchbox, and he basically is like, hey, give me this. i got to give it to Jesus. Jesus wants it. And he brings this lunchbox to Jesus, and it says it has some fish, and a few loaves in it. And Jesus uh, spreads it and tears it up, and the bread just keeps going and going and going and going, and they feed 5,000 men or 15,000 people that day. And the crowd is like, oh, this is amazing. We got a bread factory. We got to follow this guy everywhere. And that's what happened. 
The next day, uh, it says that they showed up and they're looking for Jesus and they go find him. He like went on a boat across, uh, across this lake and they're like, well, no, we're going with you. And they go find him over there and he shows up and they're like, man, where's the bread? And uh, <laughs> it's true, it's in your Bible. And, uh, and he says something that ends with them being like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm, I'm not in on that. And he says, uh, look, I don't have bread for you today. But the bread that you need is not the bread that's gonna satisfy you today. You need the bread of eternal life. And I am the bread that has come down from heaven. And I am a provision that won't just give you, you know, something to eat today. It will be a provision for all of eternity for you to have. And Jesus says, I'm the bread who's come down from heaven. And the crowd begins to murmur, it tells us. Literally, in the story, it says that they're like, wait, isn't he Mary and Joseph's son came down from heaven? He's from like four blocks over there, down from heaven. And they begin to murmur and go, I'm not sure he's... He's who he says he is. And then he says something that was like, oh, that's a deal breaker. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink of my blood, you won't be a part of this covenant. And the crowd is going, okay, time out. Cannibalism, really? Are we going there? I don't know if this is for me. And they kind of begin to mosey out of them. That's what happens in the story. They don't understand. Jesus is using a metaphor saying, unless you partake in me, unless I am the source and provision for your eternal life, then you will grow hungry again. You will not be a part of the everlasting covenant, which is what Jesus said, similar to how we would talk about communion. But the crowd doesn't understand that, and so they just kind of slowly begin to get up, and all of a sudden, people begin to just walk away, and people who are following Jesus decide, it's not worth it anymore. I'm not sure this is who he says he is, and I don't understand what he's saying, and so here's where we pick up the story in verse uh, 66 of chapter six. From this time... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. They said, man, that is just too bizarre. I don't understand it. I'm out, out on that. And Jesus turns to his 12, kind of the 12 close disciples or the 12 apostles. And he asked them a question. You do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answered, and his answer gives us an antidote for what I think all of us have to do when we are in the face of doubt. All of us have to consider whenever we find ourselves experiencing any doubt. Simon Peter Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter basically says, yeah, I'm uncomfortable and I have no idea what you're talking about with the cannibalism thing or really any of the teaching in the parables, but who else are we gonna go to? You alone have the words of eternal life. Like if not you, then who? That if we walk away from you, we're walking towards something and what is that something gonna be? If not Jesus, then who? If not Christianity, then what? That Peter understood that when it comes to Uh, surveying the world around us. When it comes to exploring the options, you know, with Jesus or, you know, with some other belief system, that even with my doubts, even with my confusion, I'm not sure what you said, Jesus is the best option I have. Even with your doubts, Jesus is the best option that you have because here's here's what I really want to explore for just a few minutes with you. Every single doubt, if you listen to a doubt and you follow that doubt and you allow it to be like, oh man, you know, I'm not sure how people live that long or what they look like. I guess this whole thing doesn't make sense anymore. You are not just leaving Christianity. You're going towards something. All of us every single day are gonna wake up and you will live by faith in something. And you are living by faith today in something and in someone, regardless of whether or not you know it. That to walk away from Jesus is not to walk away from getting, uh, or walk away from um, certainty, or uh, let me say it like this. I can walk with Jesus with some uncertainty. I don't understand everything. I still have questions. Or I can walk away from him and have complete uncertainty. The world doesn't make more sense apart from him. It makes less. And when doubts come in, you've got to be like Peter, and I've got to be like Peter, which is be willing to say, man, I'm going to consider the options. I'm looking at the options, and even with some doubt, this is the best option I have, Jesus. The idea that you're going to live by faith and I'm going to live by faith regardless of your belief, is just everywhere. I mean, let's, let's talk about some of the major world beliefs or religions. Maybe we'll just start with atheism. 
Maybe you've called yourself an agnostic or you have friends and family who are agnostic and atheism. You have an enormous amount of faith to be an atheist. I mean, it's just true. To believe that the universe around us, atheism, there was no God, or maybe there isn't a God. Uh, to believe that the world, despite the fact that science proving almost conclusively, according to Stephen Hawking, the universe had a beginning. The universe isn't eternal. And so if there was this big bang beginning to be an atheist, you have to say, well, you know, nothing caused that big bang. It wasn't a big God. I don't know what caused it. It just kind of happened. You have to believe that something came from nothing. And this almost seems like elementary. That's what you have to accept at some level. I mean, even the leading thinkers within that camp, if you know of Richard Dawkins, who's one of the leading kind of uh, thinkers in atheism, has proposed that, you know, we don't know what caused the Big Bang. And here's one of his leading explanations. You can go look it up. Maybe aliens from another universe that we've never seen before came and impregnated our world. And then they just disappeared. And that's how it all started. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But I think it takes more faith to believe in aliens who we've never seen from another universe that we can't track or trace to impregnate, whatever that means, our world, <laughs> than God creating it. So you gotta have faith if you're gonna walk towards that. Maybe you're thinking, well, what about the world religion of Hinduism? To believe without any evidence. I mean, at least Christianity has, all of our faith hinges on the resurrection, the life and death of Jesus. It's all about that. The Hindu faith hinges on really an evolution of these teachings that have occurred uh, for the last few thousand years and to believe that you know, reincarnation is uh, really a result of karma. So depending on how you live will determine whether you're coming back as a mouse or a cat or you. And so you probably were great in the past, but we don't know because you can't remember anything from your former life. That includes, or that requires a certain amount of faith. To believe in um, Islam requires a certain amount of faith to believe that these, uh, this experience that was had by Muhammad in the 600s where he had some divine encounter that told him to go become a warlord that ended up going to cities and saying convert or die is the one true way to God requires a certain amount of faith. And by the way, Muhammad didn't rise from the dead. Muhammad is buried somewhere. To be a... Uh, probably the most common thing that we see inside of our world is honestly the most ludicrous one out of all the ones that I've already mentioned. And that's just this modern age spirituality kind of idea. It's really the American made up God, which is like, hey, the God who's out there, he loves everybody. That's just my belief, aka my opinion, aka what I made up or what culture made up and I'm accepting it. And God out there is love. And you know, he really doesn't care how you live or what you do. And everybody's accepted except Hitler. And so everything will be fine. That, that's a made-up God. That's probably the most common belief in our country, but that's a made-up God. That is just the same. Listen to me. That's Zeus. You know that, right? The, the Greeks didn't have any literature for Zeus. They just kind of made him up. This is what he's like. I'm sure this is great. They made him in their image. That's what the American God, who's just like, he's love out there. That's what he is. They took the God of the Bible who says God is love and they ripped the scripture and everything that they don't like about what the Bible says and they just said, we'll just go with the God is love theory. That's a made up mythology. And that takes an enormous amount of faith to believe. You're gonna believe and you will walk by faith whether you realize it or not. I used to think the statement that's written in the Bible that, hey, you know, we walk by faith and not by sight. I kind of was like uncomfortable with that because I was like, does that mean like Christians are like, nope, not me. I don't care about sight. I'm more of a faith guy. A lot of people see it to believe it. I'm more of a believe it, don't see it thing. And, and then I realized that um, everyone walks by faith. Every person that you've ever met, red, yellow, black, and white, they all walk by faith. Every person you work with, interact with, they're all walking by faith in something. And the Christian faith is the most rational of all the options. The Christian faith, even with your doubts, as Peter says, man, who else are we gonna go to? You're the best option we got. Even with your doubts is the best God. Because here's, what's, here's some big problems that to walk away from Jesus, you have to be able to explain. You gotta be able to uh, reconcile inside of a world. How do we even know the story of Christianity? How, do we even, how did Christianity even make it out of the first century? You ever think about this? 
The fact that today over 2 billion people all over the planet claim to have some relationship with God through Jesus of Nazareth. Where's Nazareth? It's in the armpit of the Roman Empire. You couldn't pick it out on a map and no one would ever even know it existed had there not been this Jewish peasant who is the son of a carpenter who, if you're gonna explore any other belief, you just believe, man, he, he was a lucky guy and things just really took off for him. Things were going great. He was just a man. That's absurd. Not only that, to the narrative that, man, he was just a really good guy and a good prophet. If you read the Bible, those aren't the words of a guy who's a really good guy and a good prophet and just keep the mission and movement alive, his teachings. His teachings, apart from him being God and rising from the dead, don't make much sense. They're not that profound, they're not that amazing, apart from him being who he said he was. In fact, they almost come off as a looney tune. No one would say the guy who claims to be God is the guy who is a good guy over there. Hey, I'm God, I love that guy, good guy over there. No one would say that. And yet that's the claim for millions and millions of people. How do you explain that apart from Christianity, apart from the message of Jesus being true, apart from the resurrection? How do you explain the fact that all over our world, in different languages, on different continents, people claim to have had an encounter with Jesus in a real way, and it did something to their lives. They began to be transformed from the inside out. And when you get them together, they speak Mandarin Chinese, and they speak Farsi, and they speak English, and you compare their stories, and they're eerily similar. How do you explain the fact that this peasant movement that never should have made it out of the uh, Middle East Palestine area that the Roman Empire said, we're going to stomp them out. We're lighting them on torches. The Roman Empire persecuted the heck out of them. And eventually it exploded and spread and spread and exploded, not by the sword like Islam, but by love. And it toppled the empire. And today, Rome is not the place trying to kill Christianity for a billion Catholics. It's the epicenter of Christianity. How do you explain that? You read history books that try to tell you, man, it's just, those were really compelling Christians that first century. And it's ludicrous apart from the resurrection. How do you explain men and women by the hundreds who went to their deaths, not for what they said they believed in? Here, listen to me. They didn't die for what they said they believed in. They died for what they said they saw. People die for what they believe in all the time. Terrorists fly planes into buildings because I believe in it. I believe in the movement. They didn't, Christ followers did not say, you know what, I believe in the movement. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Kill me for that. They said, I saw a man die and he went into the ground, he was buried, and I saw him rise again. You can kill me, you can do whatever you want, but I'm going with the guy who comes back from the dead because he said, if I trust in him, I'm gonna come back from the dead and I will live for all of eternity. How do you explain that? This is a movement that every person on the planet today dated their calendar, their checkbook, their life by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 2018 years from. How do you explain that? This idea that he was just some good guy from the Middle East and you know they're all the same, that is absurd. That requires an enormous amount of faith. It contradicts every world religion. It contradicts the one true God. And even with your doubts about man, where were the dinosaurs? Christianity is the best, most rational option you got. When I struggled with you know, my engagement with my wife, what did I do? I went and sought answers. If you're struggling with doubt in the room, I, the best thing I can encourage you to do is to seek out answers. What do I mean by I sought answers? I sat down with my community group. I'm like, man, I'm kind of having some nervous. I'm just uh, filled with doubt. Is this wrong? Is it right? Is, maybe I'm not supposed to marry her. You know what they did? They basically sat me down and were like, dude, you're having cold feet. You're freaking out, okay? Just calm down a little bit and let's talk about why you're nervous. You know, is there some sin you've observed in her life that's making you concerned? No, none at all. Is there sin in your own life? You're, you're not talking with people. No, not that, not that I know of. Is there something outland or something outstanding, you know, contradicting the Bible you see in her life? No, not that I know of. Then what is it? I'm not sure. I'm just kind of paralyzed with doubt right now. Maybe I'm making a mistake. Okay, um, we're gonna encourage you to continue to just work through that because it doesn't seem like these are thoughts that are planted from God, maybe they are, maybe we're wrong. I remember JP coming along and, uh, and saying, hey, oh, here, all right, dude, so you know, you're kinda going back and forth. Here's what I want you to do. Let's pick a day. What, what day do you wanna pick? All right, next Wednesday? Next Wednesday, okay? Next Wednesday, we're gonna, we are going to put to bed this like doubt and this kinda like I'm worried, I'm nervous, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure. We're just gonna put it, to be, put it to bed. And so by next Wednesday, we're either gonna say, hey, you know what, we're gonna hit pause officially for a little bit, or we're gonna say, you know what, I'm done with that. There's no reason why I need to continue living in this doubt right now. So next Wednesday, 
You freak out, worry all you want between now and then, but Wednesday is D-Day, so we'll make the decision. And that was like profoundly helpful for me. It was kind of like, oh, we'll explore it, and I guess there isn't anything here. And for whatever reason, it was like, I'm putting that to bed, and I'm moving on. It wasn't that I was unwilling to acknowledge reason or to explore, to seek answers, but there wasn't anything outstanding. It just was some nerves in my own heart. Some of you, you need to seek answers and to continue to find clarity if there's parts of you that are doubting. There's a website called gotquestions.org, gotquestions.org. Could not recommend it highly enough. You can type in almost any question you want. They've got millions and millions of questions that are there. And get uh, biblical answers that will help answer some of those things. Maybe you have friends that may have questions and that could be a resource to you. But then there's this other group in the room. And this is probably what I think most people in our age demographic are in. And, and our doubts in this group are, are less like, man, I'm, I'm just not sure that it's true. And they're more in the category of, I'm not sure I want it to be true, at least not yet, if you will. I'm not sure that I want it to be true. Because if the Bible is really true, if Jesus really did rise, I might have to change some things. And I don't know that I'm wanting to do that. And so I'd rather kind of just live in ignorance as bliss right now because if it's true, I might have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend. If it's true, I might have to break up with her. If it's true, man, I might be in an occupation that I'm not supposed to be in. If it's true, I may not be able to smoke weed the way that I've been smoking weed. If it's true, I may need to change some habits or change some of my people that I run with. I may have to like, it may mess my life up. I'm, I'm not sure I want it to be true. Like, at least not yet. You know, like someday, kind of once I'm past my 20s, then I for sure, you know, I'm gonna get in church and, you know, we're gonna get a minivan and take the kids to church and it's gonna be great. But right now, I'm not sure that I even want it to be true. Let me tell you the danger in that. <laughs> the best way I know to explain it would be this. Have you ever had that feeling or that experience where, um, and I'm asking for a friend here. Um, you, uh, you're like buying something and you're like, I, I don't know how much I have left in my bank account right now. Um, I'm not even sure that I really want to look this week or today or anytime soon. I'll just, it'll be fine. You know, uh, I've got some credit in there. It'll be great. And you kind of like operate in this, like, I'll look, but not till next week. Cause it's a little depressing every time I do. And uh, you have that experience where you're like, I want to know the truth, just not quite yet right now. And the danger there is, man, as you do that, you, you're not making responsible decisions. You end up increasing the debt that you have. And it ends up costing you either way. In the same way, unlike a bank account where maybe you get you know, a bonus or something, you can pay it off easily. When you and I continue to reject the truth, not live with the truth, you're not racking up debt. You are racking up damage to your life. You're racking up dysfunctional habits that don't just go away. Alcohol, and when you continue to just abuse alcohol, that doesn't just go away. That becomes alcoholism. Pornography, if you continue to uh, just indulge in pornography, that's not something that's going away. You are continuing to create a habit inside of your life. If you continue to live in a way that's outside of God's will, you're not wrecking up debt. You are damaging your life. You are missing out on experiencing your 20s, the life you want to have, the life God wants you to experience. And you're hiding behind, let's be honest, just smoke screens. You're like, I just kind of want to claim I don't know because I honestly don't even know that I want to know. And it's a smoke screen. And in the end, it's only going to cost you. And it's only going to bring damage to you in a way that no amount of when I get the next check, I can just pay it off is going to be able to take care of. In the meantime, The question all of us have to wrestle is, if not Jesus, then who? If not Christianity, then what? Because you're gonna walk by faith and you're gonna live by faith, whether you realize it or not. The question is, will you be honest enough with yourself to admit it? And then the third episode that we see in this trilogy of interactions with Jesus, with people who struggle with doubt, comes in John chapter 20. And what I wanna just pull out from this text is the simple truth that Jesus can handle your doubt. Jesus can handle your doubt. The doubt is normal for even the greatest of faith. We said point one, even with doubts, Christ is your best option. 
and that Jesus, no matter what that doubt is, Jesus can handle your doubt. This story comes from John chapter 20, and this is one of the most famous interactions Jesus has with someone who experienced doubt. And this was a dude who ended up getting a nickname. His nickname was Doubting Thomas. That's right. Five of you know this story. So for the rest of you, here's what happened. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples. Thomas was one of Jesus' followers. And in John chapter 20, it's, it's shortly after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, came back alive, and he began showing up and appearing to people. And this is blowing people's mind because people don't come back from the dead very often or ever. And so people are, are like, man, I saw Jesus and Jesus is showing up to different people, shows up to Mary Magdalene, shows up to um, another Mary, his mother, shows up to 11 of the disciples and Thomas is not home. Thomas had gone we don't, to the grocery store to get something. And so Thomas was the only one of the disciples who was not home. And Jesus shows up and he's in the room and, and he allows the 11 disciples, hey, you can touch my hands. You can see me. Look at me. It's me. I've risen from the dead. Peace be with you. And Thomas comes back and they begin to tell him, man, we saw Jesus. And here's what happens. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, who was also known as Didymus, was one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas gets a bad rap. Thomas feels like just an honest dude to me. I mean, if I'm, if I'm in the room right now and I've never seen uh, someone rise from the dead, I feel like that's pretty reasonable. You're like, yeah, hey, man, when I see it, I will definitely believe it. I'm gonna take your word, but you know, um, you guys are not the brightest group in the whole bunch here, so when I see it, I'll believe it. And here's what happens next. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, which is like a total gangster move. Just like, I'm gonna walk through the walls right here. I'm Jesus, how are you? And he said, peace be with you. Because they probably were terrified if somebody walks through a wall, that's a real deal right there. <laughs> and he walks through the wall and he says, peace be with you, hey, don't be afraid. And then he looked at Thomas. And what would you expect him to say? Thomas, you doubted me. I'm done with you. Bye, Felicia. It's over. <laughs> That's not what he said. This is the message version. And uh, <laughs> it's not true. The message is great. Whatever Bible you'll read. Thomas, he said, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach your hand out and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. That's amazing to me. How much humility does it take for the God of the universe to say, man, he didn't believe. I'll prove myself to you. You wanna come here and you wanna touch the hands, touch the holes, Thomas. He didn't say, Thomas, I'm done with you. I can't believe you, man, unbelievable. Who do you think you are? He said, Thomas, come, you can come see for yourself. It's me, it's Jesus. I rose just like I said I would. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Over and over the Bible, side note, paints the picture that Jesus didn't claim to be a man, he claimed to be God. And everyone who believed in him, died for him, followed him, believed that he was. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you, if you're a follower of Jesus. What Jesus displays here is that he can handle your doubts. He didn't, he didn't uh, chastise Thomas. He allows him, hey, you want more evidence? Come seek more evidence. He moves towards Thomas in compassion that Jesus can handle your doubts. If you're someone who has doubts, he's not uh, disregarding you. He's not done with you. That doesn't disqualify you. He moves in your direction like he did with Thomas. If you're someone who has sincere doubts in the room. I wanna invite you and I wanna ask, I wanna challenge you really to do something. If you're someone who's like, man, I'm just not, I'm trying as hard as I can, but I'm just not there yet. I'm not even sure God exists. I'm not sure this whole Christianity thing is true. I wanna be there, I just can't get there. 
it works for everyone else. I just can't get there. I want to encourage and challenge you to do something. I just want you to pray something this week for the next seven days. God, if you're real, will you show yourself to me? God, if you're real, I want to know you. Will you reveal yourself to me? God, if you're real, will you reveal yourself to me? You may be honestly too afraid to pray that prayer because you're afraid he might actually do it. But if you're sincere, if you want to know him, I want to challenge you to pray that prayer. God, if you're real, will you reveal yourself to me? Because here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about every single person in the room. You want to know God. Like if the God who's there is real, you want to know him. You want to know him even more than you want answers to the questions you have. Think about that. Thomas wanted to know him more than he wanted to know answers to his questions. I mean, when Jesus shows up, Thomas is not like, oh man, yeah, I really have to explore here. Let me see those hands. Give me that thing. Is it really Jesus? I open up. He goes, he's the one. I don't need to explore anything more. Thomas wanted to know him more than he wanted to know answer. I know that's true for you. Here's how further I know it. If Jesus or God was to appear to you tonight inside of your room, if you're someone who's like, I've just got questions, I've got doubts, I'm, I'm kind of a skeptic by nature. If he showed up in your room tonight, here's what I'm confident would not happen. Jesus stands in front of you. Hey, it's me, I'm Jesus. It's true, I'm God. You wouldn't be like, hold on, let me get my list. Okay, let's start from the top. Noah, huh? How did he fit the animals on the ark? That's what I wanna know. You'd be like, oh my gosh, it's real. Your questions would all kind of shrink to the side. You'd be like, yeah, uh, we'll figure that out. You're real, it's true. Because you, every person in this room, you wanna know him more than you want answers to your question. And so if you are a person, you're wrestling with those deaths, I just wanna challenge you to pray. God, if you're real, will you reveal yourself to me? I wanna know you, I want answers to my questions, but I wanna know you more than I want answers to my questions. Will you show yourself to me in an undeniable way? I believe that's a prayer that he will answer. And so this week, for the next seven days, you owe it to yourself, because if he's there, you want to know him even more than you want answers to your questions. The second thing I would challenge you to do is to seek answers. There's libraries written on the questions you may have, truly. Uh, my guess is maybe you are the one exception in the whole world history that's gonna come up with the one question that's like, ah, ah, that's a stumper. Even God, not sure on that one. But for most of us, the questions that you have about like, you know, um, how old is the earth? All those different questions are great. Ask them, seek answers on them. Don't just live in the fog of doubt. In conclusion, what we see is that doubt happens even to the greatest of faith, that even with doubts, Christ is your best option, and that Jesus can handle your doubts wherever you are in that journey. I'll close here. I, um, I was thinking today, and I was thinking about, man, had I allowed those doubts to rule my life, the doubts with my relationship with my wife, how much would I have missed out on? Like, how different would my life have been if I was not able to kind of get over doubts, that I wasn't able to move forward, and I just allowed those things to be in the driver's seat, and I can't move forward in this relationship? I probably wouldn't have been able to move forward in any single relationship had I allowed those doubts that really were just, that there weren't any really good reason for them, how I'd allowed those things to rule my life, how different would my life have been? How much would I have missed out on? Well, I can tell you. I would have missed out on the last six years being married to one of the godliest people I know. I would have missed out on some of the best six years of my life. I would have missed out on seeing the birth of two children. They wouldn't exist. A two and a half year old son and a nine day old or something like that daughter. Yeah, I know, we're not sleeping. We can keep going. <laughs> Thanks, golf clap for that. Uh, I would have missed out on all kinds of different things. It's clear, I know what I would have missed out on. Here's what you're gonna miss out on if you allow doubt to take you out. If you allow doubt to be something that, you don't, that rules your life rather than saying, man, Christ is gonna rule my life. If you allow your doubts, you don't seek out answers, you just hide behind the smoke screen, you hide behind, not yet, I don't wanna give this up yet, I'm not sure it's worth it to follow Jesus, I'm not sure I, I want it to be true yet. If you allow doubt to rule your life, you are gonna miss out on peace, you are gonna miss out on purpose and meaning. Only, those are things that are only found in knowing Jesus. You're gonna miss out on the only level of satisfaction you're gonna find inside of this life. You're gonna spend your life trying to fill a hole inside of you that no amount of money, pleasure, alcohol, sex, people, anything could fill because it was a hole that was put there by God. And it was put there so that you would reach out to know him. You're gonna miss out 
on knowing the one true God. You're gonna miss out on the peace that comes of knowing, I know where I'm gonna go when I die. You're gonna miss out on the only rational explanation for the world around us that I think that there is. And you can either choose to kind of live in the shadows of, you know, we can't really know and I'm an agnostic, but you're living by faith, friend. And your faith is not anchored in a person who came and died on a cross 2,000 years ago who entered into history. It's not anchored in a book that uh, has over and over again proven to be consistent with the world around us, with historical facts. It's not anchored in any of that stuff. It's anchored in your opinion. And you're a much, you're a much more arrogant person if you think that your own opinion of the world suffices to explain everything. The rest of us, man, We acknowledge that if there's a God who's there, he's probably even bigger than our own minds could ever comprehend or understand. And I'm gonna humbly, willingly accept the rational faith that is there, or I'm gonna continue living behind the smokescreen, allow doubt to take me out. And if that happens, it's gonna cost you and you will miss out on the life you want, the life God wants for you, the abundant life you were created to experience. Let me pray. Father, I pray for friends in this room right now who have sincere doubts, who are unsure about whether or not you're real, that you would move them to pray. God, if you're real, will you show yourself to me? And you would answer that prayer. Father, I pray for those who are living behind a smoke screen. They don't have sincere doubts. They just are in a place where they don't want to know, they don't want to change, they're afraid of what it's going to cost them, that you would grab a hold of their hearts, that they would come to a place where they believe you're not here to rip them off, you're God. You don't need anything from them, you desire something for them, and they would believe and accept that. Father, thank you for the fact that you're patient with our doubts, you can handle our doubts. We worship you now in song, amen.